We're going through the fruits of the Spirit. We're on the next to the last fruit of the Spirit. And what we're talking about, again, is something that's not natural to any of us. So if you haven't been here in a while or haven't heard this series uh, because of COVID and the separations, the fruits of the Spirit are those things in which are when the Holy Spirit comes into your life at salvation, God's Holy Spirit begins to give you certain fruits, evidences of your salvation. And we'll say this again as a class. Let's read this together. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, meekness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Okay, so in other words, none of these things are natural to us. All of them can be challenging for us to do. And this week we are on gentleness and meekness. Okay, interestingly enough, Charles Billingsley at the end of his sermon mentioned this principle, and I think this is great. It's nice when our pastor is talking about uh, what we talk about in class. So when you think the words gentle and meek, what words come to mind? If you were to just say, if I said you were gentle and meek, what comes to mind? Kind. Kind. Quiet. Calm. What? Soft spoken. Do you consider these words to be feminine, feminine, masculine, or both? When you think of the words, he's a gentle man. He's a meek man. She's a gentle woman. She's a meek woman. Do you consider them to be feminine, masculine, or both? I think we may have a tendency, though we may not want to say it, that sounds more like a trait that a woman would have than a man would have or should have. And yet we, we would debate that and sometimes we would say, depending on our knowledge of the term and things like that, we would disagree, etc. If someone were talking about you, this is just personal. If someone were talking about you and they said, she, he is a gentle or meek person, would you consider that a compliment? In all honesty, I know this because I've studied it, and I've known it, for, for, thankfully, for years because I studied it for years. But in reality, my impression of these terms would be not something I'd want in my life. I'm supposed to be a man's man. Ooh. Okay? I am supposed to be strong, outspoken. Gentleness is weakness. Now, we even heard it today that obviously this is not the meaning of this word. But there's a tendency to think, when you think about these terms, that it's not something that a man would want to incorporate into his life because it just sounds not masculine. But it is. 
What does the word not mean? It doesn't mean weakness or frailty. Without firm conviction. In other words, if you're a gentle or meek individual, that doesn't mean that you're uh, the old folks' statement, milk toast, you know, uh, you know, mealy mouth, uh, uh, just passive, weak, uh, unable to really, you, know, you don't know what you believe and why you believe it, you're just kind of like, you know, wishy-washy, etc. That is not this term in the least, okay? In fact, there is no English, there are no English words that capture its meaning. That's, in other words, so in other words, when you translate it, it's, you can't really even translate it right. So when you translate it, uh, meekness, okay, or gentleness, that's not the best term for it. So in other words, in English, we're not getting it, okay? It involves an inward disposition and outward expression. It's, in other words, it's something you are passionately believe internally and you live it out in your life. So a person who is this word, gentle and meek, is someone who has convictions about it and then practices it. It's linked with the word humility. It's how we should respond to people, even evil people, knowing that God is going to use this situation in our lives, chastening or purifying me. In other words, it was what Pastor Charles was talking about today with the, the bit in the horse's mouth. Okay? The horse is extremely strong. And I've, I've known people who have been kicked by a horse, who have been stomped by a horse, and the person always loses. <laughs> okay? It, it's not like, you know, <laughs> that horse is stomping, okay? Well, but when the bit is in the horse's mouth, it's under control. In other words, here's the issue. And it doesn't, it, again, it's a hard thing to describe because it's not exactly this. But you have the right and the power to retaliate, and you don't. Probably one of the best examples of this is our Lord on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. My God, my God, why are you forsaking me? And this relationship and this power, it, remember, he also said, if I wanted, I could bring down 10,000 legions of angels. But he doesn't. Would we even perceive in our minds that our actions would cause God to become angry, and he does, there is no question I believe God has been angry with Lou Wider times because of my sin. Just as much as I would be if I had a child who was doing something wrong or evil, you'd be angry. But that doesn't mean that anger doesn't, isn't trumped by love and grace. That's the hardest part. And see, this is the whole point and the concept of what we're talking about here within the concept of gentleness and meekness. It's this idea that says, God says, you have the right and the ability. God had every right to go, enough. I am done with the human race. I'm wiping you all out. And I'll start over. I, what? 
I didn't do it the first time, I can't do it again. But he doesn't. And he gives grace. Now think about that in your own life. That's why, as for those of you who are young parents, one of the most challenging things to do is as you're raising your children not to discipline and anger. Because discipline isn't comes from doesn't come from anger. God doesn't punish us in anger. But he always disciplines us. It's a training, it's a correction, it's chastening or purifying. That's what God's trying to do in my life. That's what he's trying to do in your life. He may put you through the ringer at times, a difficult experience. Why? Because he wants to try to say, slow down, you're not in control. Watch, be careful. I don't think so. It's like, for example, sometimes we think discipline has to be corporal in nature. It has to be a spanking, it has to be the loss of something in our life or whatever. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit, every time you wanna sin and the Holy Spirit in your, in your own spirit says, stop, no. That's discipline. We don't think of it as discipline, but it absolutely is. When my, when my kids would, would try to go towards the fireplace or go to something dangerous, I would go, no, and I'd pull them back. That's discipline. I'm training to do the right thing, okay? I still have a scar on my arm because as a child, I got up somehow, as a little kid, I must have, yeah, I, I'm a boy and boys climb and do things they're not supposed to do. And the stove was hot and I took my hand and I put it right on that stove and I've got a scar right up here. It goes the whole length of my arm because of what, you know, it's like, hello, that'll teach you, right? But you don't do that on purpose. You don't go, stove, good, try. Oh, see, I talked, that's wrong. That's, you know, no, we don't want them to experience pain. We try to avoid it all that we can but when they do, we come alongside them as a part of the training of it, okay? That's why I'm so annoyed, okay? Sorry, I get emotional at times and my feelings come out. I, you know, that's just who I am as a teacher. But I can't stand certain commercials. There's a commercial out right now that I just despise. It just seems so cultural. Now, if you love it, fine but I just don't and it's a mom sitting petting her cat and her child in the background yells mom I thought I got hurt get a band-aid it's bleeding get two and she just goes back to her cat it's like it's the whole thing is about cat food you know take her I think it's like are you kidding me? Your cat is more valuable than your child. Well, at that point, I want to, I want to discipline that woman. <laughs> Some kind way, you know, bring her along in the faith. It's strength under control as I move along. Although I could retaliate, I choose to do no harm. It's the opposite of self-interest. In other words, I am thinking about you more than me. I give up my rights, even for happiness at this moment, for you. And that's what gentleness and meekness is all about. 
Even though I can do something I choose not to, I bless instead of curse. How are these words used in the New Testament? Jesus used these words to describe himself. Someone read Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Now look at these words. Now think about this in your relationships with others. You will hear me say often, I don't like drama. I'm, I, I don't like drama in families and all that kind of stuff. Now think about this. Imagine the way we think in our heart towards people is this. Come to me. I am gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls when you hang out with me. Think about that. Do people find rest for their souls when they hang out with you? Do they have a, I just can be myself around you. I, it's okay, I'm not condemned by you. I don't feel bad when I'm around you. I feel accepted by you. I feel loved by you. I feel appreciated by you. I feel encouraged by you. I, I, I don't feel like I'm, I'm the, you know, the nobody in the room. You make me feel valuable and, and purposeful. Jesus used these words to describe himself and, uh, as, uh, excuse me, Paul later uses the same term to describe Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.1. Someone read that for me. consider Paul to be a timid man <laughs> and yet that's how he viewed himself he, he saw himself as a humble and gentle servant of Christ remember when he confronted Peter to the face because of Peter was was uh, trying to convince the the Gentiles to, to be circumcised and try to go back to the law and Paul says stop it he goes to the main man he is I mean we're talking the head of the church, if you will, of the of the conference, the meetings, and he's going to him. It's like, wait a minute. Paul he just seems like, you know, in my letters, I'm pretty tough to you, but when I come to you, I'm, I'm kind of timid. I, 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 even in the letters, I don't see it that way. But he viewed himself by his relationship with Christ to be humble and gentle. So what does he mean? In other words, what he's trying to say is, I, I'm seeing all but uh, there's a bunch of junk going on here <laughs> There is there is some sin happening around me here But you know what I'm going to communicate the love of Christ and the forgiveness of Christ and the grace of Christ and not the condemnation You know in other words what he's trying to say is what gentleness and meekness is about is I'm not here to put you down We're all sinners Paul viewed himself as the chiefest Remember, he was Saul. And he was there holding the cloaks of those who were stoning Stephen to death. And was going to persecute Christians. So he knew who he was. 
And he understood the grace of God in his own life. Now the question is, do we remember who we are? And do we have that same understanding of God? If God's grace is amazing for me, how much more so should I give it to you? How do I respond to you? That's tough. That's not easy, okay? But this is why they're fruits of the Spirit. It's not natural for any of us to act this way. So when they deserve to be punished, they deserve to be put down, they deserve to be uh, diminished, they deserve uh, to be called a sinner, we twist it and we give the love and grace of God instead. Jesus listed as one of his Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, but they will inherit the earth. Why? Because people want to be around meek people. People want to be around people like that who are gentle. Not someone who's arrogant and puffed up and it's all about them and, you know, it's all about my life and, you know, why are you even talking to me? They want people who are humble and meek and gentle and build each other up and encourage one another. Paul uses these words to remind us of our calling and God's desire for our unity. Someone read for me Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. So what's our calling? God has called all of us, every one of us in this room, from the youngest to the oldest. He's called us all as prisoners of the Lord. In other words, God owns us. Okay? We are his. He bought us with a price. Okay? He bought us. We don't like the term slavery today, and rightly so. But that's what this concept is. It's like, I have been bought with a price. And remember, we chose it. That's why he says, remember, before you construct anything, you better count the cost. Are you really a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ because of what it's going to cost you? And when you do, though, you understand who you are in Christ. And he died for me. He died for you. He gave us all for you. And so what he does is he says... I, you, if, if a corn of wheat dies, it is buried. It will come to life and produce much fruit. I remember as a kid having to go out in the garden. Mom would give us little things of corn, and I had to create the row and put them in and cover them up and put them every so many, 18 inches or whatever, 24 inches apart, something like that. And that's, that summer, we saw the stalks of corn come up, and they get the tassels, and then the ears of corn would come on. That one kernel of corn produced typically two or three ears of corn. They had nearly a thousand kernels in it. One produces a thousand. And unless you die, to yourself, you will bear no fruit. Nothing. And he says, remember your calling. But in your calling, don't forget to be humble and gentle. Strength under control. 
Let that bit be in your mouth to control it, to control your whole body. But who's pulling the reins? God. God is driving us, is riding us, is moving us, is turning us. That's what should be. And when we are patient and we bear with one another in love, we bring unity of the spirit to the bond of peace. It's just a wonderful, wonderful place to be. Colossians 3, 12 to 14 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have as a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Again, you can't do this, okay? You can't bear with one another and forgive one another if you're not gentle, if you're not humble. And so that's what God is calling us to do here. We're to be humble and meek toward everyone. Titus 3, 1 and 2. Someone get that for me. In other words, we can't pick and choose. This person is easy to, to get you know, be around. This one, not so much. So how do I respond to the not so much in my lives? How do I respond to, to those that are difficult to be around? And if, if we act and if we respond like the world does, then how can they tell us we're different? They will know we are Christians by our love. Why are people frustrated with Christians today? Because Christians aren't choosing to live out their faith. We're being more influenced by the world. This is how we should respond to the unsaved and those opposed to what you believe as a believer. 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26. Can someone read that for me? Long passage. You think we're living in that kind of an era today? But how are we supposed to respond to that? Don't quarrel. Don't argue with them. It does you no good. But be kind to everyone. Be kind in our actions. Able to teach. In other words, in our conversations, what we're doing is if we're not able to communicate intelligently, like pastor was talking this morning uh, with um, Kissinger. How we use our words matters. Able to teach, communicate, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed. Gently instructed. In other words, you're, you, what you're hoping for is a positive return on them. Because, you know, what in reality is 
they're going to heaven or hell. Heaven or hell. And he's talking about here primarily those that aren't going to heaven, right? Why? We want to, that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth that they will come to their senses. They're trapped by Satan. So even though we turn on the television and we get aggravated and frustrated, and you talk to people and you get, it's like, how can they think that way? What's going on? No, no, no. What we've got to be able to do is, okay, what can I do to communicate in such a way that will help them to understand and turn them towards truth? But ultimately, it's to bring them to repentance. It's not just winning a point. It's not about arguing to win a point. It's about bringing them to repentance. And this, the, the Proverbs also has that same dilemma. You, you know, you, 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 you talk to a fool, it's a waste of your time. But if you don't talk to a fool, it's also a waste of your time. So, you know, it's like you're in a quandary here. I have some words, but it wouldn't be appropriate. Um, you just you lose, you lose either way. Okay? We have to be careful of that. The questions to ponder then for today's class is this. Knowing as best as we can what the terms meekness and gentleness is. Am I a meek, gentle, and humble servant of Christ? Do I want to be like Jesus in reality? Do I want to be meek? What areas of my life need to change to be more Christ-like? Those are things you say, okay, God knows it already. So we go, we go, okay, you know what? I have a bad temper in this area. I get angry easily here. I say this over here. I think this way over there. We, we, we've got to ask the Holy Spirit to help us. And the Holy Spirit will bring to our minds, uh, Lou, uh, what about that? Okay, that's one to work on. And we choose to work on that. Apathy is not in the Christian vocabulary. God doesn't want us to be apathetic in our spiritual growth. He wants us to be growing. It doesn't mean that we're already there. None of us are. 1 John 1, 8 says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So the problem, the issue is, okay, I recognize it, fix it. Don't, don't, don't have a pity party about it. Don't be down in the dumps about it. Don't be Eeyore about it. Oh, I'm such a bad Christian. God must hate me. God doesn't love me anymore. That's bogus. It's a lie and it's from Satan. And that person that you don't like, or it's frustrating you, God loves them too. And he wants them to come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants them to come to repentance. He wants them to be in a right relationship. Why? Because God wants to bless them. Do you. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that helps us to understand it and apply it to our lives. Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit, and I pray that we will walk in your spirit today. God, as we leave this place, may we not be just hearers of your word, but doers of it. Lord, let's not expect it of others, but practice it ourselves. And teach us how to walk in these fruits of your spirit every day. We love you, Lord. 
Thank you for what you're doing in our class, and I pray your continued blessing upon us. Lord, we can't wait till we can all be back together again without social distancing. But until then, we're going to do what we need to do to stay safe and stay healthy. And God, I pray your blessing upon our families. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. I love you all. Have a great week. God bless.